Matthew 10, verses 2 through 4. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then uh, a key point in the Gospel of Matthew and for the disciples in particular, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Earlier in our service today, we were reminded that when we're talking about elders and deacons, we're talking about leadership in the church of Jesus. These 12 disciples, as Matthew already anticipates in what he calls them in Matthew 10, would become the apostles. He calls them apostles here. They'd become the first leaders of the church. John MacArthur um, has a great book about these 12. John MacArthur has been preaching God's Word from his pulpit for decades and, and through this ministry. You may have heard that he has grace to you. Uh, there's this book he has called 12 Ordinary Men. Um, you could read it on your own. You could use it for a small group study. It would be great for that. He, dwells in, he delves into the Scriptures to give us a picture of the 12. Their unique personalities, their backgrounds, and kind of the, the thrust of the book is, is really a, a great encouragement. You know, he calls it 12 ordinary men. As God used ordinary guys like them in his service, he continues to use ordinary people like you and me today too. And the chapter that he has on Peter shows how he was the leader of the 12 and why he was more than just the first person listed in the list that we read. That word for first, protos, also means chief or leader. And we see that Peter was the leader. He was always at the forefront. He usually was the spokesperson for the whole group. Now, it was the Lord, of course, who chose Peter for this special purpose. The Spirit equipped him. Jesus Christ shaped him and trained him. And I believe from the qualities we see in Peter, we can learn something about how God equips his leaders today, and especially his leaders in the church. Not all leaders have the same personality as Peter, and the point of this message is not try our hardest to be Peter's but to see what qualities Scripture shows the Spirit gives His leaders and what qualities the Spirit develops in them. 
I believe we'll reach our goal of doing that this morning, especially by putting our Lord Jesus first. By recognizing Jesus as the only person ever to have all of the qualities we're going to talk about in perfection. Jesus is the chief office bearer, the leader of the church. Jesus was given all of God's gifts in, to the fullest. In talking about the church, our catechism in question and answer 55 says this, which is really cool for us as God's people. It says, God's people share in Jesus when we belong to him by faith, and so we also share in all of Jesus' treasures and gifts. So through the Spirit, Christ pours out his gifts so that his church can thrive and so this church can be led. And we're focusing on the church, but these leadership qualities, they're seen in all different areas of life at our job, whether we're a manager or leading a work group or in any area that we're given responsibility, these qualities will equip us to lead in our homes, students, to be a leader in, for Jesus in your friend group. They're qualities that leaders in our communities and government need too. Number one, inquisitiveness. They say that curiosity is crucial to leadership. In a leader, you don't want someone who is just totally content with what they already know. You want someone who wants to learn more, who wants to understand things better, someone who's seeking more knowledge, who's asking questions and looking for answers. You can see this quality, this trait, sometimes already in very little kids. And, and I think it's a, it's a sign of a sharp mind in someone who is very likely going to be a leader. Churches want this in their pastors. And so study weeks, sabbaticals are given, opportunities to grow and learn so that pastors can lead the congregation in God's word better, which is our primary task. That's how pastors are called to lead in God's word. So Peter asks more questions than all the other disciples combined. It's usually him asking the Lord to further explain some of these very difficult and challenging sayings that Jesus had. Peter wasn't content to just sort of nod his head, pretending he understood. He wanted to grasp it. Peter was the guy who asked about that withered fig tree that they saw by the side of the road in Mark 11. Jesus taught about forgiveness, and then in Matthew 18, Peter digs deeper. How often should we forgive a brother who sins against us, Lord? Peter wanted to understand more. He wanted to understand better. And inquisitiveness seems to be a quality that the Spirit of Jesus evokes in his leaders. I think a teacher will tell you that a student who is asking questions, who's engaged and growing, stands out. Someone once said, before you change the world, you need to learn it first. And, and leaders in the world are like a sponge soaking everything in. 
Leaders in the church will try to do that, I believe, as they think about how things are done and why they're done. I think effective elders will ask questions of the people they're called to shepherd. There'll be listeners who want to know the flock well that's been entrusted to them. And God's leaders will want to know God's word and his ways more. The Spirit instills this quality, and we can nurture it and grow in it in our faith and life. Leaders also tend to take initiative. May have heard of preacher John Wesley. He lived in the 1700s. He started the Methodist Church um, along with his brother Charles, the great hymn writer. So check out his level of initiative. I hesitate saying this to you, lest you expect a whole lot more of me than I'm capable of. During his life, he traveled 250,000 miles on horseback, averaging 20 miles a day for 40 years. He preached 4,000 sermons. He produced 400 books. He knew 10 languages. At 83... He was very annoyed that he couldn't write more than 15 hours a day without his eyes starting to strain. At 86, he was downright ashamed he couldn't preach more than twice a day. And he complained in his diary that he had an increasing tendency to lie in his bed like a sluggard until 5.30 in the morning. So that's a fellow preacher. That's enough to make me feel woefully inadequate. That's off the charts, initiative, and drive. But, but leaders do have a drive. You'll find that people who end up leading are taking initiative. And, and Peter was instilled with this quality by the Lord. Peter not only asked all these questions, he was usually the first to answer. And we see that example that's uh, really well known in Matthew 16 when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And then but who do you say that I am? And Peter went for it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The others maybe didn't know the answer. Maybe they were hesitant to speak up in case they were wrong. But Peter stepped up. Peter was so much this way that he would go overboard and he'd have to retract what he said sometimes or be rebuked by Jesus sometimes. Peter really blew it once in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was being arrested. He, tried, he cut off that servant's ear, and then Jesus had to heal. That was the wrong thing to do. And you kind of wonder, what was Peter thinking? He was taking initiative, yeah, but the language the Bible uses, we kind of think there was a small group of soldiers there, but the language of the Bible indicates there were at least a hundred Roman soldiers there. What was Peter going to do? Was he going to behead them one by one by one? It's possible to go overboard with this quality, just like any trait can go bad when we take it to the extreme, but the Lord does need people in his church to take initiative. When there's a problem or an issue in the church, God's leaders need to step up and figure it out. God's leaders don't cower in the background, too paralyzed to do anything. 
elders and deacons are called to step forward, to take initiative in connecting with the people of the church, caring for them. We read, take initiative in prayer. Deacons take initiative in the church, especially by inspiring us all to faithful stewardship in our church, but in all our lives. And God's church everywhere and here needs people to dream new dreams, to dream fresh ways to accomplish God's mission and make the church better, to love God, to love others even more, even while keeping us firm in our Reformed confessions and rooted in God's never-changing word. We, we take initiative. The Spirit equips His leaders with initiative, with drive, with ambition, with energy, to do the work of ministry, to care for the flock, to proclaim God's word. A third quality is submission. Submission. And that doesn't seem right for our message this morning. Aren't other people supposed to submit to leaders? But then we remember we're talking about the church. We're talking about God's leadership qualities. Peter, in his brashness, had to learn this over time. But certainly from the very beginning, we see that he showed submission to Jesus and to his word and leaders in the church and all Christians. That's where we submit to, first of all, in our lives. Thinking about submission, leaders also understand that in different areas of life where they may not be the leader, they submit to the one that God has put in place to lead. A good leader, more than likely, will be someone who respects his or her parents. Because you know what? In the home, those are God's ordained leaders. Someone who's maybe a good leader in their workplace will respect, say, the leader in their child's classroom, their teacher, because that's the leader in that area of life. Leaders get the importance of leadership everywhere, even when they're not leading. And this principle is called the idea of office, and it flows out of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Our catechism shows us how we understand this commandment as a church. It means that I am to honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me, because through them God chooses to rule us. And so, thinking of elders and deacons, healthy leaders in the church function well in the church even when they're not serving as elders and deacons. People who don't get this principle, which is ultimately the fifth commandment, do not do well in life. People who do get it tend to thrive, as the fifth commandment seems to promise they will. We see Peter, even in his brashness, learned this over time. We see it in one of the letters he wrote, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 18. He has a, a really wonderful number of verses on submitting to the governing authorities. When we read Scripture's qualifications for elders and deacons, we find that submission to the Lord and His Word and His Spirit is first. God's leaders aren't perfect by any means, but they're seeking the Lord. They're seeking 
submission to him in their lives. And that's recognized by others in the church. And they're called elders and deacons to lead us all in doing that, in submitting to the Lord. Leaders in the church aren't called to sort of look for the latest fad out there in the church world and apply it to the church. Leaders in the church aren't called to think about what's most practical or doing what they most would like to do. But leaders in the church are called to help us to submit to the Lord of the church. And we do that especially by hearing and knowing and following his word. So elders and deacons, I ask you to help us in that. Continue to. And we do that by following Jesus' perfect example. He submitted to his Father perfectly. There's a fourth quality. It's love. Loving service of others. And true spiritual leadership will always have this. A real leader serves, whether it's a husband serving his wife, an elder or deacon in the church. It seems that people who kind of have natural leadership gifts can mess this up because they can tend to be task, goal-oriented rather than people-oriented. And they can plow over people to achieve their lofty goals. The priority of loving service is something Peter and all the disciples needed to learn. And all throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus bringing this home. Jesus taught it. He was the only one who lived it perfectly. Uh, We read the passage, whoever wants to become great among you must be the servant. Peter eventually got this as the Spirit equipped him more and changed him. We read what he wrote in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, this is his call to the church, above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Elders and deacons, that's a great verse for you and for us. What a goal to lead God's people into fervent love for one another. What a goal for you to show us the way by loving people with Christ's love. And like all these, we can't do it with our strength, but we can do it because the Spirit fills His leaders with the love of Jesus to do more than we could imagine, to love better and more than we ever could on our own. God also gives His leaders courage. We know this is true of Peter because he would die a martyr just as Jesus predicted in John 21. Early church history tells us that Peter was crucified like his Savior. It's recorded that before Peter was crucified, he was forced to watch his wife's crucifixion. Peter was married. As he watched her being led to death, he called her name and said, Remember the Lord. And then when it was his turn, he pleaded that he would be crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy to die as Jesus died. Despite persecution, even to death, Peter preached Jesus. He didn't stop. He didn't wilt. The the Spirit worked in him so that his default sort of false courage lessened over time. That headlong recklessness that made him swing the sword at the servant 
Instead, the Spirit created a mature courage that would suffer even for Christ's sake. 1 Peter 4, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. At Pentecost, with the Spirit's coming in power, unleashing that power, that's where Peter and the early church leaders were especially equipped to be courageous in their stand for the Lord going forward. When we look at our world, we look at the headlines, we look at the statistics on the church, it seems that we might be heading into times that will require God's people to increase in courage. We've been living for so long in a situation, and we praise God for it, We've been living so long, all our lives, we're in a time where Christians have the majority in our nation, where we have many Christians even in leadership in our government, local and, and federal, and that's a wonderful thing, but it makes you wonder if and when things turn more challenging, and I think we'd all agree they already are, how quickly would we melt? How quickly would God's people give in given the relative luxury of freedom that we've enjoyed in our nation? Will we be ready when times get rough? And so may our elders and deacons lead us to be strong and courageous people too for whatever God has planned. Thankfully, the same Spirit who filled Peter in the early church, is filling and empowering God's leaders today, giving us the courage, that gift of Jesus himself, who headed to the cross as people jeered at him and whipped him and eventually killed him. It's his spirit that fills us with this gift too. One more quality of God's leaders is growth. The spirit helps us grow. If we have room to grow, that implies that God's leaders aren't perfect, and that's good to hear because we can feel very inadequate to the tasks that God has for us anywhere in life here in the church. If there was an example of imperfection and and character flaws, it was Peter. But God had plans for him. Jesus nurtured him. This is seen really clearly in his name, Peter. You know how he's also called Simon in the Gospels? Do you ever wonder why there's those two names? Simon is actually his real name, his birth name. But Jesus gave his leader of the apostles a new name, Peter, and it means rock. And that is what Jesus was calling him to be. From an overly headstrong, wavering man of weak faith to a rock for Jesus, to a rock for the church. There was once a skinny young pitcher, new in the Dodgers minor league system, who was given a new name, a nickname, Bulldog, by Tommy Lasorda. This kid had a powerful and accurate arm but he was very timid. 
Tommy saw he needed to be more fierce, to be more competitive. The name he gave him, Bulldog, was the opposite of his personality. But over the years, Oral Hershiser became exactly that, one of the most tenacious competitors to ever take the mound in the major leagues. So Jesus set that vision for Simon to be Peter, God's rock. And the spirit of Jesus was working with Peter, making him to be that, maturing him to be the leader God wanted him to be. A number of times in the Gospels, when Peter really blew it, whenever he showed qualities of his old self, Jesus would go back to calling him Simon. When Jesus went into the garden before his death, he asked his disciples to keep watch and pray. Stick with me, guys. I need your support. They kept falling asleep. One of the times when Jesus came and found them sleeping, he said, Simon, could you not keep watch one hour? And I'm sure this guy who was aspiring to be Peter, who Jesus wanted him to be, I'm sure he just cringed at at disappointing Jesus so much. And when our old nature gets the upper hand in our lives, we're grieved too to have disappointed the Lord. But we know that Jesus doesn't give up on his children. He didn't give up on Simon. Even after he denied Jesus three times, there at the end of John, John 21, Jesus restores him forgives them, and still calls Peter to serve. He says, feed my sheep. He had a job for him to lead in the church. We blow it too. When when you make a mistake, we hear Jesus' voice saying, Simon, Simon. Jesus saying, no. That's the old man. That's not the new creation. But he says to you and to me, Simon, Simon, with a heart of loving acceptance and forgiveness. Because of his sacrifice on the cross that once for all washes away all our sins, he doesn't give up on you. He gently lifts us up, he restores us, and he still calls us and uses us, his children, to advance his kingdom, and his ways in this world. Looking to the only perfect leader of our lives in the church, Jesus the Savior, may the Spirit equip our leaders, even right here at faith, with the quality of Jesus himself, so that God's people would grow to be the people he's calling us all to be. And may each one of us gladly receive the good gifts of Jesus that the Spirit gives us when we belong to him. When when we're talking about growth, we're talking about that word sanctification. Saved people becoming more like Jesus. The work of salvation is all of Jesus. Justification. He does it all. But sanctification, growing in the faith, the Bible says is a cooperative effort between us and the Spirit. The Bible says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
And so that's a calling, and that's a responsibility on our part. God calls us to grow in him, to be more like Jesus as spouses and friends and workers and pastors and elders and deacons. May our hearts seek to be changed by the Lord and his word and be open to where we need the change. So ask him to fill you. Ask him to give you the gifts he so graciously gives his people. He will surely answer our prayers to be his leaders everywhere in the world and in his church today. Amen.